So I don't know if it's compassionate for the rest of us, but I trust you to know Dharma as Dharma and take take this as an Anicca, Dukkha and Anatta if you need to. <laughs> so, so maybe I should say like whatever I say that's of any use really is a reflection on my teachers and whatever isn't accordance with the path and with Dharma is due to my own lack of understanding. So, so I ask that you like listen in the way way the my thoughts on practice are offered, like like listen with your hearts, with friendliness, both both to your own your own heart or your own movement with whatever I say and with whatever's going on for you and just to the you know, words I say that will may impact upon you or not. The what I, what Sister Suripanya asked me to speak about was the Brahma Viharas, Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka. So it feels a bit like teaching my grandmother how to suck eggs, but because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know we've received such incredible kindness and there's such a feeling of of metta and generosity here. But maybe I can say a, a few things that well. M- m- I find myself, it's just nice to hear people talk about Dharma, whether it's new or old or anything, just that feeling of rejoicing and in, in hearing the Buddha's teachings. So hopefully I can give you at least at least that feeling. So metta Sabesuta Sukihontu may all beings be well. It's like, do we have the courage to love? To really love things without without judgment, without barriers, boundless, expansive, <coughs> all pervading both ourselves and and those things we take as being other than ourselves. Metta. We metta is often talked about in terms of like a meditation, like sitting, and then slowly emanating metta out boundlessly across the whole world. But in terms of our practice, say here on the retreat, I'd like to reflect on it in a slightly different way. Like metta as actually having a sense of well-wishing. Um, good-heartedness towards the conditions, the dharmas that are coming and going for us. Can we actually feel friendliness and kindliness to the conditions of mind and body we are experiencing? This is a far more difficult thing, I think, than, than actually spreading like metta as a sentiment out across the whole world but just actually be able to rest in this, in this particular moment and, and love it. It's, it's a far taller order, it seems. <coughs> I think many of us actually really don't, it's very hard for us even to know what loving kindness or metta even feels like as a self-experience until we've actually received it somehow. (coughs) Received just a sense of unconditional well-wishing. For some of us that will come by way of teachers or community, or some body, or even just some action that 
that gives us a sense that it's not about who we are or what we're like, it's not about our personality, which is such a fraught and frail thing, but just this sense of something or somebody just wishing us well in a boundless, unconditional, non-judgmental kind of way. I've found myself that really it's only by living, living with that actually being extended towards me that I've actually started to taste it, what it feels like. Maybe, maybe an example would help, like, as some of you know, I, I'm, I'm living at Chithurst and I tend to work in the grounds and things. And most, most folks would tend to say I was a bit work obsessive. I'd say it was more like it's part of the land I come from. But, but so I tend to find myself working away on some kind of job that takes a lot of like physical energy and and the instructions on the can will say this must be completed by nightfall <laughs> if you you know it cannot be done tomorrow and uh, this scenario happens constantly and I have a friend and they come past sometimes and I'm on one of these jobs that has to be finished by nightfall and they'll look and there was one not so long ago, and I was before the winter, and I was working away, and they came past, and they looked, and I was all kind of wet, you know, because I'd been doing a particular job that had a lot of water, and they just looked at me, and I knew, you know, there was there were was like a reflection me to stop and say, well, here am I covered in water, and they kind of they taught him, you know, and. I have a rheumatic, so it's like it's not exactly very sensible. So they just looked, and then they said to me, "The dark and cold are coming," and then they went away. But I was still, I was still in the middle of this thing that had to be done desperately just that day, and couldn't wait. And so I was kind of struggling away, and then. Later on they came back and they didn't say to me, look, foolish woman, even though they probably thought it. They just got a tool and started helping. And we just silently got the job done, packed the tools away. It was then the kind of darkness had come and the cold had come. But at no point did they say to me, look, you know, here you are, foolish again, it was just, even though I knew they didn't even agree with what I was doing, it's just this, this response to somebody that was cared about, that even what they're doing may not be sensible. It's just this helping to get it done, you know, because it was probably obvious I wasn't going to stop. <laughs> so, like, just this deep friendliness or kindness that comes and, and it just... It just supports and helps. It takes no sides. It doesn't say, oh, bravo, you're working very hard, or anything like that. Or, you know, what, and the more likely scenario would be just you know, foolish child. But it, it's just this willingness to come forth. And re religious or spiritual life's like that. It's like an offering up, a coming are coming forth, forth from the heart. And it, it doesn't make conditions with things. So over the time, just having, having actually received that feeling and sat with it, felt what that actually feels like, what does it feel like to actually be really cared about, that is not... not by way of judgment or not taking sides. That starts to me give some kind of insight and actually 
the way my own mind needs to relate to my own experience, my own kind of karmic experience, just with this willing to, willingness to be with, to support, to actually be present with, like to be present with whatever grief there is, whatever anger, you know, whatever, whatever is arising. With a sense of kindliness and well-wishing, not, not wanting to get rid of or, or pretend it's not there. Or it's just this, this great, great kindness. And it, I think for myself it's something that really needs to be brought into practice and fulfilled. Because to actually transcend something, it has to be felt and known. We have to be present for it. So metta. There's one thing I find very supportive for that is just it's the reflection of Lung Po Cha's. It's, it's my near, uncertain, don't know. So it's like with my own, my own thoughts, my own feelings, or the things that seem to come from outside that in some way are upsetting or confusing. It's like just holding them very lightly, leaving a lot of space around them. They're uncertain. Something's happened, and I, and my, the reasons I may think it has happened, they're only guesses, they're presumptions. If I suspend, suspend the judgment, and just rest in that that gentle, you know, openness of not knowing, then there's more space to actually feel it. and not to get caught up into the mind, which is totally untrustworthy. It's, it's difficult though. Over the years, I've used a, um, a little piece from The Little Prince. I don't know if it's common in the States. Yeah? Okay. In The Little Prince, there's a piece where The Little Prince has been wandering around and he comes upon a fox and he says, you know, I'll have to praise it. And it's years since I actually read it, and so I've been probably changing it in my mind. But he says, Let's be friends. And the fox says, doesn't work like that. The little fr prince says, look, now I just want a friend. Just, you know, why can't we just be friends? And the little fox says, first you have to tame me. And he goes on to explain how you tame, how you tame something. And you, first you tame something, then you can be friends with it. And I've used this over the years as a metaphor for, for practice with states that are very difficult to actually touch. They're very um, strong, powerful. They seem deep-seated, but just this sense of taming. And the way the fox says you tame something is each day at the same time you come and sit. So you have this kind of consistency. And each day, if you keep very still, you can come just a little bit closer. And I'll be watching from my hole. And slowly, I might come a little closer. And so the little prince tames the fox just by slowly, slowly, slowly coming closer. And then they're friends. At which point the little prince has to leave. 
and that, and that the, the fox gives a whole a whole nother reflection about about that why it's worth taming something even though you're going to lose it but just in my own practice you know just having had some very what's you know seem like hats that used to feel like quite permanent quite deep things quite painful things just that practice of not expecting to be able to just be with it instantly but realizing that actually it takes time and a lot of patience and a kind of gradual coming close enough to touch something so directly you know it for what it is N know it's it's truth in accordance with Dharma. But it takes time and patience and, and that's what loving and becoming friends with something takes. Just that willingness to give it the time. So that's also when I, when I think of like practicing metta in my own practice. Metta for me has the sense of actually being willing to wait, wait for things to unfold and, and happen in a natural way. I think youth and our, our time can make us in such a hurry that even if we were close, right, right up against something very strong, we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to see it anyway. You know, our hearts would be too agitated. So I find like meditation is, is critical in, in metta, just in that giving the time and the steadiness to actually slowly make, make friends with all the conditions of the mind that arise. The chant we do, may I abide in well-being, these kind of chants too, I find, just are very useful in, in actually slowly softening the heart so that it becomes actually a reality that I can chant like, like at night before I go to sleep, like, may I be freed from affliction and it not be some kind of concept but it be a a reality, that, that, that movement may be freed from anxiety, from ill will. And then others. Slowly, we do extend naturally our practice of loving kindness outwards. And that too, like, it reveals the nature of our own heart. I don't know if any of you practice like going around systematically with people in a room or friends or whatever. You know, may you be well. May you be free from suffering. And the, our hearts can feel quite expanded, quite gentle. But I also practice to know the perception with which I hold that person and that in itself can be quite revealing revealing of our own self-judgment you know I can sit here and I can say may Carol be well may she be freed from suffering but Carol may be partly a perception in my mind of my own inadequacy like me thinking well you know, I can wish Carol well but Carol wouldn't wish me very well because you know, I'm not really good enough and it, I've noticed over the time of practicing metta that as I move around do I actually feel, feel people's love coming the other way or is my projection one of my own self-judgment, self-criticism, negativity. So we can use metta just to reflect and reveal our own hearts again to help to help us know the way things are. It's, it's, to me it's quite important that we don't use 
meta as the pink clown practice. You can see looking at me, brown's more my kind of colour. And it's it's like not not using meta to try and cover and smother and deny you know where we're actually up to in terms of our own willingness and and loving for ourselves and others. You know, meta's not about sending out some kind of sentiment that actually is a rejection of our own negativity or our own confusion, our own unhappiness. And it it seems quite critical that we don't use it that way because then what we get is the experience of of just deepening our sense of failure. Metas just become another stick we beat ourselves with. The Buddha had much to say on the practice. Like he really held it up. I mean, many of you are familiar with the simile of the saw. You know, like if two men with a two-handled saw came and sawed you limb from limb apart, if you for a moment held a thought other than that of loving kindness, it's something like that, then you would not be my disciple. And these are quite strong, that's quite a strong statement from the Buddha. And we can take it and judge ourselves with it. But the Buddha also said a very beautiful bit where he goes through and he says like, somebody who maintains loving kindness for as long as a finger snap. You know, it's one, like he's talking to the bhikkhus, it's one where the alms food is one of my disciples. I find I find like these Brahma Vihara, these divine abidings as they call, they kind of run together in my mind, like like Karuna. It it starts to merge with, with metta. Karuna, like may all beings be freed from suffering. It's that same coming forth with this this sense of benevolence. And for myself, I find like where where it really deepens, where it can only come from, is actually being willing to know like, the suffering of this own body and mind formation. I think that's where some of us who have a lot of like physical dukkha are quite blessed. Like if you have a painful body, and slowly you're actually willing to be with it. Then, then, you st- then the compassion arises. Like if we're actually willing also to be with the, the pain of our mental, mental states, the more painful mental states, like the, the states of grief or the states of longing, the states of ill will, whatever, whatever our tendency is. You know, I, I know the way my mind inclines more, but if we're actually willing to feel them, to actually open, to know the suffering that's present, then very naturally compassion arises. You know, that experience of there is suffering and when it's really truly felt and touched, then the heart softens. It's like, I don't know if any of you have got little kids, but, but it's like, 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 you know, this little three-year-old, um, 
you know, crying or screaming in the night with a with a nightmare. You know, you can go in. And the natural movement of his, oh love, I'm here, you know. I'm just it's that same um, softness really. Just, but it's like we have to be willing for our hearts to break, to really, to feel our own suffering and the full extent of it. And to be willing then, we have, then we're actually more able to hold steady and receive the suffering that we take to be outside ourselves. It's one of the like gifts of actually being able to bear, bear, like stand under your own, your own pain. Is it makes the heart very strong, and it's able to actually stand and bear with another's. It's able to be present with, to empathise. It just is a natural movement. It's like, like, if you have a, like a cello and you hit a C on a piano. If the two things are in tune, the cello string, without even the bow touching it, will start to vibrate. It just resonates because that's its nature. What, what some of the, like myself, the way, you know, I've most experienced, like the experience of compassion as, as something received, is just the ability, like, for someone to actually stop and truly listen. And, you know, for any of us that have actually experienced somebody's ability to stop and hear, then what, what we actually find is even, there's not even a need to say anything. Just that, that presentness is enough to liberate the suffering. And we can do that for ourselves. As we, as we start to open, like just to the suffering of birth, of being in a world that's constantly changing and shifting, like as we start to feel our own bodies and realize that actually they're not, not going to give us a very, you know, we're on a downhill slope actually. <laughs> they're slightly painful now and the, the outlook isn't good. <laughs> Isn't funny, you know. <laughs> and also, so the body is not hasn't got a very good prospect. And emotionally, like if if we really start to feel things, even the most beautiful things we feel are double-edged. And the more deeply we actually allow ourselves to actually feel what things feel like, then slowly the heart starts asking them, asking anything, and it can start to turn outwards. So as, as we stop looking outside ourselves for something to actually fill the great void we feel, then the kind of, it's almost like the second turning happens where the ability to practice metta and karuna brings a ripeness where actually they're the things we start to manifest. It's like 
when the heart gives up on the world, what it says is, what am I going to give the world? And of course, what, what is the natural movement to give is to give kindness, friendliness, compassion. But it's important, like, for both Mudita and Upeka to be contemplated because they bring a, a very, a very steady balance to the whole thing. Like Mudita, appreciation and goodness of others. Like, or just appreciation, joyous appreciation. You know, our. We need to feel the delight too, to know, to know delight. Otherwise, a kind of greyness can set in, a harshness. And it's, it seems to me really important we actually can touch the beauty of the world. As, as, um, arms mendicants like us uh, sitting here like this it's we're in a kind of incredibly privileged position because our whole lives like they're a miracle of people's kindness and generosity I mean there's nothing I have on or with me that somebody hasn't given me far more easy just to actually directly experience the goodness of others but even in our lives like you can see how important it is that when we receive our alms food, we actually stop and don't just say, well, it's impermanent, but, but see that this is given out of faith and out of the beauty of other people's hearts because this actually nourishes, nourishes our own heart, encourages it, gives it courage. But it's actually very difficult to actually receive other people's goodness. Maybe it makes me kind of come back to a, something that happened years ago when I was in Thailand practicing. And there was a, there was a, I used to work in the kitchen and help the, the elder, elder Thai woman who used to come in and cook the meals. And because they had their crops to do, I'd always say to them, well, bye barn, you know, go home, and I'll, and I'll look after the kind of cleaning up. I had very bad, very rough tie, heavily accented, but... <laughs> <laughs> they, they were very incredibly kind to me. So. But there was one little girl who started to come and I guess the villagers, because she was an orphan and there's this whole kind of kind of class thing, were a bit rough with her, but she used to kind of snuggle under under my wing. And so, like after the others had gone home, she would help me and we would, you know, do the traditional washing of the rags and the kind of rinsing and the hanging on the line and the cleaning down of the floors and things. And one time I was there at the, the water cleaning the rags and starting the rinsing and she was she was washing my feet and soaping them and I could feel <gasps> and just that, that feeling like that animal feeling like like a horse has when mice run around its feet. I don't know if any of you come from <laughs> But it like you know like at home when a mouse comes through the horse they start stamping. And I could feel this urge to start stamping, like just that incredible uncomfortableness with, with someone washing my feet. But because she was very, very small, like I had to hold very still. You know, otherwise I might, might have hurt her, so I just held really still. I felt my incredible disease with the experience. It was just incredibly difficult to receive. 
And then she finished washing my feet and I could feel us, you know, I've kind of survived it. And she got my hand, each of my hands, washed one side, turned them over and washed the other. And by that point, like, I guess something had kind of stopped inside. And I realised just that, like, it was an incredible gift she was giving, like, in washing my hands and feet. But the, I could give, like, a greater gift in actually having the kind of humility to receive it. And so, in our, in our lives, like, it takes a, a kind of, a being willing just, just to receive things and, and to be like vulnerable and not have to be always together and the, the, you know, the best and perfectly all right without you, thanks mate. It's like, <laughs> it's like that, you know, well, now I'm distracted, but it, it's like, it's like stopping and actually being able to receive something. We, we have this whole thing where we go forth in faith and We'll often, Sister Siripana and I went on a tudong in, in Ireland with another sister. And of course, we, you know, we don't carry money and we weren't carrying food. And so at one point we got to this position where actually quite, the weather was very bad and we weren't, we weren't really carrying any proper shelter either. We're in this incredible, vulnerable position. And it almost seemed, you know, slightly immoral to me. Like I had a, had to have a real deep grappling with it. But then a, a woman came through, we called her St. Margaret, with this incredible kindness and delight in being able to actually sit and talk with right, religious sisters. And coming back, going back later to the monastery after the couple of weeks of living like that, I, I was really clear and I've, and I've reflected on a lot that actually, if we actually keep everything safe and controlled and so that we have everything we need, we have no space for the miraculous nature of like humans, human kindness and generosity. And I think a lot of our lives are lived in trying to keep ourselves secure and somehow walled off. But this falling off means actually we can't, we can't receive the beauty of the world. So to practice like mudita, joy in the goodness of others, we have to lay ourselves open to receive it. And I think maybe it's important to actually do this consciously because it goes so much against the kind of the modern the modern way to like even here stop and actually reflect on where this place comes from, you know, to to feel gratitude and respect for people like like Sharon and Joseph, you know, twenty years ago through some great sadha, got this whole thing started and all the people that have come since. Now, have any of you noticed how beautiful flowers have been around here? You know, somebody, I suspect, Carol? Have you been doing the flowers? You know, some, somebody anyway has been like doing like beautiful flower arrangements and it's like do we do we actually stop and feel the goodness they come from
devotion comes in here very strongly to me again. It's a way of actually really um, accessing, celebrating, rejoicing in goodness and things that are beautiful, transcendent. Really making, making much of them, making them very conscious. I know some of you find it a bit difficult, like with the triple gem, but for my own part, like to chant homage to the Blessed One, really accesses that place of, of, of joy. Homage to the Dharma, you know, which is like homage to the way it is, to actually rejoice in how it is right now. And homage to this awakening, this, this path of practice we're all, we're all on, and actually feel joy in it, gladness, delight. It's, you know, if, if we want to be rational about it, the Buddha says, like, happiness and contentment, these states, they actually lead to concentration naturally. And from concentration, then you get the whole flow on to being able to actually penetrate and know the way it is, to actually liberate the heart. But somehow we have to actually emotionally touch into the place where happiness arises. You know, Dharma practice, like meditation, can be like concentrating. But it's a, it's a narrowing in. It's not, a, it's not a bursting forth. It's not a expanding. And if it's a narrowing, like a focusing in, then it's an entrapment. There is no peace in it. because we're always holding, we're always just on the verge of fighting with anything that disrupts the peace. Fighting with the sounds outside, fighting with the sounds inside. So it's like getting the heart so it will actually rest with the fullness. It will rest with the fullness and actually be willing to know the way things are. Like it will move into opaca, equanimity. In contemplating equanimity, I've always, I've always used the phrase not asking anything. So like, for me, the practice of equanimity is not asking conditions to be any other way than they are. So being able to rest with things just, just as they are. Which is partly where you know, the, the insights that come through meditation help. Like, truly understanding impermanence. It also helps like with with metta so that metta doesn't just um, sweep us away in a way. It keeps us grounded. It's like, it's like if you come upon like someone you love sleeping. You know, when people are sleeping, I don't know if any of you felt it, but just that, that feeling like 
people's beauty is usually revealed, just the kind of vulnerability. And I know that feeling of just wanting to hold there forever. You know, just that, that moment. Remember that feeling and then noticing like the movement of the breath in the throat. And with that, like you see that to hold still forever in the same place is death. Because breath, the movement of breath is life. So it's like the very impermanency of things. It's also their life, it's also life, the flow and the movement. So seeing that we don't get holding things, just wanting them always to be beautiful at their very moment of glory. provides the strength to hold, hold steady with things. Traditionally, like Opeka has associated with it reflections on karma. And, and if, particularly when, when people are in, in situations that are very painful, like, you know, that the reflection on karma, or for ourselves even, the reflection on karma brings a lot of steadiness. We can, we can wish well-being, but we don't ask things to be well. It's like the heart, the heart wishes wellness for everything, but it, it's willing also for things to be not all right. It knows that the nature of things is to grow old, age and die. But that doesn't mean it doesn't love things. The reflections on karma mean we can abide with people's suffering without being ripped apart by it. We can like have our hearts break, but still, still won't be disintegrated. <coughs> the, I don't know if you know the exact words, but it's like, all beings are heirs to their karma, born of their karma, related to their karma, abide supported by their karma, Whatever karma they shall do, for good or for ill, of that they will be the heirs. So it seems to help to slowly turn this over in our minds. Because otherwise I think for most of us being sensitive, we get to this point where we actually care too much. And the whole, whole experience of life becomes far too painful to bear. But the seeing things in light of the Dharma, in light of the truth, brings steadiness. These, these divine abidings, they're, they're not seen as total liberation. But what they do is they help with the ripening of the practice. 
they give the, the support, there are supportive conditions and for our path. They help us, help us in developing right relationship, which to me is the way I, I think of the path. That whatever, you know, the coming, coming together of things like, like contact, intention, attention, like it's here that karma is made, and the way of intention the nature of attention. So it's when we, when we attend to things, our intention is, is for their well-being. It's coming from a place of goodness, compassion, kindness. Then these things support the maturing of our practice. They bring a sense of well-being. I think I've said more than enough anyway. So maybe as a Christian as a Christian sister once said, they talk about what friendliness is and what a good friend is. So I ask you to be good friends and a good friend takes like the grains and if there are any they keep them. And with a breath of loving kindness they blow the rest away. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.